seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this new crazy mother. Welcome, friends, to episode 205 of Color of Magic, Imagine Gaming Podcast, where we talk about all types of issues that affect gamers at and away from their gaming tables and computers. I am your host, Daquan Watson, and for 205 episodes, Still got my main man surviving the heat down in Texas, Brian Allen. How's it going, man? It's going. Uh, apologies to any of our apologies and condolences to any of our friends that are football fans in New York, Jets or Giants. Good grief, Bruh, Let me tell that you, was a, <laughs> that was a rough forty-eight hour span. <laughs> I know some of our people ain't into sports ball, but I'm gonna be real here. But even being a Cowboys fan. I was feeling real bad for the Giants the longer that game went. Like, I can't remember a time where I watched a team not be able to do anything in a ball game. On Sunday night, no, it'd be bad. It'd be already bad if that was, you know, let's say the 12th period. But that's the game that that's the the Carrie Underwood game. (laughs) Dude, it was bad. It was bad. Like, I looked up the the stat. No team in one calendar year had had a blocked kick for for a touchdown, given up seven sacks in a game, lost the turnover battle 3-0, you know, and lost 40 to 0. That's a, they hard. did all of that in one night, not even a season. It's rough, man. I, I've never seen anything like it. And we were under the illusion that they were supposed to be good this year. And, I mean, they may still be. It might have just been one of those nights where they just, you know, for whatever reason, didn't have it. Sports are like that, though, man. Like, I tell people all the time, you you watch because even when you think you know the outcome, strange things happen. And then, just, you know, 24 hours later, <laughs> Aaron Rodgers, what, like, what, three, three, four plays and done for the year. Yeah. But you know what? They still won the ball game. Yeah, that that was incredible. They <laughs> and just people are like, oh yeah, the other dude came in. I was like, the other dude played basically the whole game, and they still won. So, hey, these are all still pro players. We'll see what happens, but yeah, them them losing him is tough. They just so. got to do what they did. I guess uh, 12, 13 more times. Oh, and shout out to Xavier Gibson, who I just found out apparently is a friend of a, or I guess a a cousin of a friend. You know, like the guy that went in the game and hey. Guys became kind of a superstar on hard knocks. He was that guy, you know, that wasn't wasn't even supposed to make the roster, and he ends up winning the first game in overtime. So, well, fun thing: one of the dudes in one of my fantasy football leagues actually coached one of the guys that he drafted for his fantasy football team. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, he coached him in like high school, which is crazy. But let's get into some business here and start by telling you you need to go check out our show sponsor, Cool Stuff Inc. Go over and check them out. Doesn't matter what type of game stuff you want, whether you want magic, board games, role-playing games, maybe you want other card games. You can get it all over there, and you can save 5% on your order by just using code DRAGON, and you'll be supporting the show. Also, you can go to patreon.com slash colormagic, and you can get a shout-out just like Don Haddlestad for being a member. Thank you, Don. And you can go to colormtg.com slash shop and pick up some merchandise to help us out there if you want to as well. But that is going to bring us to the soapbox. And boy, do I have a fun one today. So I've used my soapbox the last couple of weeks to kind of talk about how creators get mistreated or taken advantage of and that some creators need to value themselves a little bit more in our space for sure. Well, I kind of wanted to reinforce that with sharing an exchange I've had that goes back to the 8th. So not quite a full week, but I just thought it was very convenient of the timing of this coming through. So I get an email and I won't put the company out there yet because it's still an ongoing thing, but I get an email from a company that I do the first look over like, is this legit or not? Is just somebody just like fishing for some information. But as far as I can tell, everything's legit. Products look legit. Do some searching online. Seems like a real company. So I follow up with the email and it basically just says, hi, Power Dragon. You know, this is so-and-so from this company. We like your videos on YouTube. Pretty much generic stuff. They tell everybody just 
they're not even commenting on like the type of videos you make or whatever. They, they just want to win you over to get you to work with them. I'm like, that's fine. Standard fare. They're talking about, we have this microphone we want to want to show off. We're looking for creators or influencers to help us out. Like, all right, cool. All fine and good. And then coming back to what I explained previously is what they want is they want me to produce some segment in my YouTube videos for them. They want to have some number of social posts related to it. Fine. And they'd like me to authorize use of some images I take so they can see the microphone in the setup so they could use it for some promotional promotions and ads over the next month. All right. All fine and good. Nothing out of the ordinary. They tell me they'll ship me the product for free. We're good. But nowhere does it talk about compensation. So I say clearly, just one line, is there any financial compensation for this work? Takes them a couple days, but they get back to me and they say, this will be an exchange deal. We don't do any financial compensation for our efforts or for our promotions. All right, cool. So then I reply and just say, well, unfortunately, you're requesting that I spend hours producing a piece, editing it, do the social posts. And then you also want me to make some images that you can use for additional promotion. That's work that'll result in you making more money off my efforts, which is all fine and good. That's business. But if there's no financial compensation for this effort, then I'm going to have to pass on the offer and deny the request. Same day, I get a response that says, oh, we totally understand you. Can you please quote your lowest price? Now, this is the idiocy because at this point, we've gone from we don't pay anything to, well, how about you give us a number? So, of course, my response was, see, now you've gone and made it awkward because <laughs> you said there was no financial compensation. But once I was willing to walk away from the deal, now you're willing to negotiate. So how about this? Just tell me what your company is willing to pay for what you need, and I can accept or deny the offer. Next day. So now, now we're going back and forth pretty regularly. I don't know why. All of a sudden, they're in when I'm asking for money, which is weird. But then he says, hi, we're sorry for this confusion, which it wasn't really confusion at all. And we, we are doing only barter collabs at the moment, which is not true because you just asked for money. But if a creator quotes the amount that is minimal, we can pay that. So please let us know your lowest price. So, so far to follow this chain, we've gone from, hey, would you like to promote this thing? I ask if there's money. They say there's not. I'm like, cool, then I can't do this. And they're like, well, hold up a second. We're willing to pay something. Tell us what you want. And I'm like, well, hold up. You just said there wasn't. Why don't you give me a number? And then they say, well, we're really still only doing barter collabs. But if you give us a number that's low enough, we'll say yes. So you went from not giving anything to want me to undercut myself on my work to try to get to work with you. And I'm like, okay, sure. What's the acceptable minimal amount that you're willing to pay for what you need? Well, it really only depends on the amount you quote. I'm like, we can make negotiations easy. Literally just tell me what you're willing to pay and I can agree or refuse it and it'll save us a bunch of back and forth emails. And that's where we are now. I sent that yesterday. <laughs> but I say all this to kind of reinforce the point I've been making is that this is what your creators deal with. Your favorite creators, your friends, the people you follow on social media, whatever. This is a regular thing. And... To just think they're just raking in the dough all the time or being mad when they actually are putting an ad on a thing and they're making, hell, maybe three to five hundred bucks. They're just trying to put food on the table while dealing with all these hassles every day. And this is going on on the backside so they can still get paid while they're still making whatever videos you want, while they're still doing live streams, while they're still posting their TikTok stuff, making appearances at conventions. Like, it's a real job out here, y'all. And I don't think people really think about that. And it can be even tougher when you're a magic creator because a lot of people are promoting the same brands. A lot of people are trying to help out and get a little bit here from their local store, help boost up their local market. Like they don't necessarily have the same options that some video game creators do that you can work with some of these bigger electronics brands, right? Because a lot of those don't associate with magic in the same way or tabletop games in the same way. So everybody's just trying to trying to get their little piece, but Stuff like this is what makes it silly. But I will definitely do a follow-up, depending on where this goes, either direction, and let y'all know how we wrap that up. But 
That's me, Brian. I'm going to pass this over to you. All right. Used to be when you talked about cancellation for a TV show, you were just meaning it wasn't going to come on TV anymore, which that may be part of the package. But man, uh, that 70s show looks like it's probably going to go down the uh, Cosby show rabbit hole of stuff that we may not ever even want to show on TV again. Because, of course, uh, Danny Mattress is apparently going to end up doing 30 years or some. So some form thereof in prison for rape charges. And then uh, Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis apparently, I guess, wrote letters asking for leniency and for some reason, I guess, didn't think those were going to get out. And of course they got out. So now people are looking at them sideways, understandably. And now that's causing people to go back and just really look at so many problematic things that took place for, on that set or Dude. involving actors that worked on that set. Let me tell you this. Like, we all have that friend that's messed up. Now, not that level of messed up, but we all have a friend that's done something. You got to know that it just ain't worth it to, like, you just talk to your buddy and be like, man, you just you got to take what you get. You know what I mean? Like, it ain't worth putting yourself out there and ruining your rep. To try to signal when you know they messed up at that point. Like, yeah, that's the part I don't get. Like, he's it's already come out. There's already been the trial. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? But anyway, continue. Uh, yeah, uh, there was one interview where apparently uh, Ashton Kutcher admitted that him and Danny Madrison, I guess, had a bet to see if one of them would kiss Mila Kunis, who apparently was 14 years old when she auditioned for that 70s show and then kind of just lied about her age, but she was a really good actress, so she ended up getting cast. But yeah, that's just horrible. And, and then, of course, some of the sketches on Punk uh, have not aged well. There's apparently one where Justin Long, you probably know if, if for nothing else, it's the I'm a Mac, I'm a PC, Macintosh kid. Apparently, uh, one of the, the, the quote-unquote pranks Ashton Kutcher did was hooking him up with what he, I guess, believed was a 16-year-old girl and apparently Justin Long really had no problem dating the 16-year-old girl. The problem was it looked like he might get caught dating the 16-year-old girl was when it became, oh, wait, wait, we got to fix this. So, yeah, it's just at this point, it's already, I think, what is that 70 show? Like, I, I, I wrote a thing about their anniversary. I forgot, was it 20, 25 years, however long. It's probably long enough to where, yeah, people could just go ahead and, take this out of their nightly. Oh, it's, it's going to get pulled off the services. I guarantee you by the end. Of yeah. The week. Well, but I mean, Netflix is, has a new, you know, that 90 show. So I guess they probably can't pull it there unless they're uh, going to just, I bet they can. You just run the 90 show and you just don't run the 70s show. But I mean, how, how does one run the 90 show? That'd be like, you know, if you run a different world, you kind of got to talk about the Cosby show, which is, is not fair to anybody that was in the cast of a different world, but it's, it's I a mean, thing. it helps, but I, I just wouldn't. I just go without it. I mean, that's your only choice right now. That being said, though, hey, the networks are going bonkers right now and charging people and whatever and doing whatever yeah. they want. So maybe they won't do it. Of course, I guess it also depends on, you know, what the ratings end up being for that 90s show, because uh, I, I, I the, the reviews are kind of mixed. <laughs> so I don't know anybody that's at least openly reviewed it or talked about watching it. So and that should be right in my wheelhouse with the people my age. And yeah, uh, <laughs> so I don't know what that means. I think most of the reviews are like, eh, <laughs> it's I. <aight. laughs> this is kind of along those lines. That's fair. I mean, that's fair. Of course, now you got to ask yourself, you know, how much bad PR are you willing to take for it's I. But th this comes around to a lot of things we talk about. It's like, at some point, there's also the thing of don't get too attached to the people creating your art. You know, we've seen too many times in the past, at every level, where you're talking about superstar big time celebrities to just d-listers to social influencers whatever like sometimes you know the the r kelly's of the world where it's like dude made some awesome music but turns out he's a trash human great you know like that's just real like and that and that gets into that weird space of like how much do you get to enjoy the art when you know the person was trash right now, there's some weird space, too, where I guess, like, 
there are some cases where you're talking about somebody watching something on streaming services or watching somebody's YouTube video that they will still be getting a portion of the money, albeit small, but for your view. So that can make you not want to give them anything, which I totally understand. But it's also weird when it's a musician, when you're like, well, I kind of already own this. Do I just never listen to it again? Cause there's no more money to be made out. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's a weird space, man. Like it, I, I hate even thinking about that stuff, but you can't help it when this stuff keeps coming out. But let's talk about some more interesting things. Cause we have two kind of very different, but fun things related here for you in the, what did we learn segment? So what do you got? Yeah, just a whole uh, passel of new games getting dropped on the PlayStation Plus Extra and Premium. I believe it's going to drop uh, September 19th. Sid Meier Civilization Six is going to be on there. 13 Sentinels, a Aegis Rim, Aegis, I'm probably going to do one of those, however you say that, it's going to be on PlayStation, PlayStation Plus. Uh, several games in the Star Ocean RPG series. I mean, I've been telling people, really, once you bought the console, if you go ahead and just sign up for whatever membership they offer, you don't even need to buy any games for a long time, unless you don't just absolutely you bought the thing to play Spider Man, which I understand. Yeah, that's a, a thing a lot of people are going to do starting next month, I'm sure. But yeah, so we had apparently Xbox also. You know, I, I guess kind of like a this is where the, the gamers win. PlayStation announces a bunch of stuff. X, Xbox has to drop a bunch of stuff. <laughs> Hey, nothing wrong with that, man. I, just like you've been saying, if you get the Game Pass on the Xbox, you're set. Right? And it looked like both of them had a pile of titles that got re- announced. So if you whole, got either one. Bunch of stuff. I mean, in all, especially like Sid Meier, Civ 6, you know, that's if you even kind of sort of like, you know, Civilization strategy type games and you hadn't played that one already, well worth the price of free. I guess. It's technically not free. You pay for the membership already. But again, you're paying, I think, in this case, about 100 bucks over the course of a year. And I mean, getting hundreds of games going all the way back to the PS1 era in some cases, definitely worth it. The thing Xbox is, also is another great deal where it's so, so, some of the same things. Even at $100, it's like that's the price of two, well, less than the price of two games these days. Great. So if you're going to play let's assume during the course of the year, at least four games. And that's if you play one game for three months and then they remove it and you move to another game or whatever, right? You're still getting more than the value of two additional games a year off of those services. Like, that's hard to beat. And you're going to, you know, if, if there's a game you're not sure about on the service, you get to play it for a couple hours. Like, no, I did this. I'm, I'm not feeling this one. And you can do that for 50 some odd games or more. Yeah, as they keep adding more throughout the year. So, yeah, that's actually pretty cool. Uh, Mine is also video game related, only very disappointing and somewhat sinister. But (laughs) for those you don't know, Unity is a underlying game engine that is put into a ton of different games. Uh, Matter of fact, I believe we looked it up before we went live and I discovered that some over 200,000 developers and over 750,000 games use the Unity engine to tell you kind of how widely used that this is. It's basically most of the major titles that you've probably touched in the last, I don't know, six to eight years probably. You've probably played a game that uses the Unity engine. I'd be surprised if you haven't. But that said... Unity announced that they were going to, or at least have plans, to start charging developers for each time that their game is installed on a system. Now, my understanding is currently you basically pay a license use or whatever, and then you go and make your game or whatever, which is great because it saves development studios a bunch of times because people have already done the underlying work, right? You just build on top of it. But now they're changing that to each time your game is loaded. Now, I believe this is supposed to apply to games that have over $200,000 in sales and over 200,000 downloads, I think. So it's not like 
all the little developers only sell like 50,000 units in the app store or something, wherever those aren't going to get touched. So at least they didn't go after everybody, but still pretty bad by comparison. But to add to this, and this is where the kind of sinister part comes in. The CEO of unity decided to sell off a few pieces of stock before he made the announcement the next day. Knowing how poorly it was going to be received and likely what it was going to do to their stock numbers. So the dude took a little cash out off the top. <laughs> like, and it won't surprise you to learn that uh, bef- before he was the CEO of Unity, he worked at EA. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me either. You were right. right. Not even <laughs> Just, a little bit. He, he he perfected the grift there and then moved on to Unity and, and just taking it to that next level. This is just sad, like sad scummy, all, all the bad adjectives, just some of the worst in... And by the way, we, he didn't do a small sell-off. No. The numbers are that he sold 2,000 shares of stock. So dude made a, a probably... what? Let's just see what the Unity stock price is today. Because we know it went down since he made his announcement. So they're at $36 now, which means it was probably, well, actually looking at the numbers, it was at least, it was over 40 at some point here. Uh, yeah, it was, it was actually as high as about 40. So the dude made a pretty good chunk of change selling 2000 shares. Just, you know, I'm going to make sure I make a little pocket money, make me feel good since I'm going to piss a bunch of people off with this announcement. It, this this is going to be a thing, man. This is going to change which studios want Like, maybe it's time for somebody else to build a new game engine. Yeah. You know, if this is the road they're going down. Like, these are the types of things where companies get greedy and you open the door for competition. Because Unity right now basically has everything on lock. Like, they could have even said, you know what? We just want to increase the licensing fees or whatever this percentage. Or make it this number, and then if you go over 200,000 downloads, whatever, we just increase it to this number, right? Yeah, or and, whatever. And there, there'd have been some complaints, but not what we got now. Yeah. And the shadiness of, like, we know this is, like, this is the thing. Like, that's not technically by the rule insider trading, but gosh damn, it is right there. You know he talked to a lawyer, like, let me walk right, how far can I get to the line and not completely cross it? I mean, if if somebody made an argument and just blew too hard on you, you'd be over the line and get punished. That's how close it is. <laughs> like, somebody could make a case for it being and possibly make a deal out of it. But yeah, like, that's, it's just crazy. Like, this is just greed. That's all it is. Like, everybody's just pushing. We got to make more money. We got to do this thing. Hopefully somebody does create some competition for them now. Because before, a lot of people probably wouldn't even have considered using anything else because this is the thing that everybody knows how to build on. You hire developers from other companies, they've already used Unity. They understand it. But if it's going to cost you a lot more money to the tune of possibly hundreds of thousands more dollars, then maybe you start looking for alternatives or studios start building more of their own and just using it for everything. Because, dude, 750,000 games using a thing is basically market dominance. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. But it is what it is, though. But let's get into some other news, because there's a few things to hit on here. Now, one of the things we've talked about before is that there's always been a push and pull, and more pushing away than pulling, of the paper games market and the digital market. And you see it a lot in game store retailers where they don't necessarily, especially for magic, right? They don't want to push people to arena because they feel like that's pushing people away from their store and eventually taking money out of their pocket, which in some cases they're not wrong. Like some percentage, probably there's going to be people who do both. And we mentioned that Wizards of the Coast is doing a promotion for September that you go to a local store up to four times, you can get credit for a thousand experience in arena. Still think it's bad. It should just be a thousand gold, like, Play an event in your local store, get a free pack of cards in Arena. Would be easy. That said, there was another thing that popped up that I didn't know existed that they were doing, which I think should be better promoted because this is actually kind of an important deal. Uh, 
But if you go into Arena for the first time, you're playing through the tutorial. They have a follow-up thing called the color challenges, which are pretty much what you expect. You play a deck with a certain color, and I think you play two or three games, and you try to win them, and then once you complete it, you get your little box ticked or whatever. Once you do all the color challenges, you get a pop-up message that takes you to a link, and it says, hey, go to this thing, fill this out. We'll send you a two-player starter set for free. We pay shipping and everything. So if a new person goes onto Arena, they do the color challenges, completes them, they get a free paper two-player starter set, which is pretty cool. That's Wizards saying, like, hey, we know you just tried Arena, but did you know we also have a paper component? Get the cards in people's hands. They learn how to play it. They have the rules. Maybe they're interested. They try to build more decks. They go to a local store. Maybe they buy singles online from somebody. But you're at least encouraging it. Because obviously not everybody's going to go play paper that you send something to, right? But even if it's, I don't know, 5% of the people, that could still be a pretty big number. Like, these are the type of promotions I think they should have been doing. And it's cool, but the only reason I know about it is because one of the groups I'm in, somebody got it as a pop-up, and they were just like, hey, is this legit? Because I have not heard about this, and I just want to make sure I'm not giving some spammers my inf information or whatever. And at first, I was kind of like, ah, I hadn't heard of it, but this is totally legit. <laughs> like, so it was interesting, to say the least. So I, I don't know. How do you feel about this type of stuff? Because I feel like more games should be doing stuff like this. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I guess part of the hope, you know, is that arena can become, uh, I guess for like a brand term, a gateway drug, so to speak, to get people in the store. So yeah, definitely. I think they should be doing things like this. Yeah, it was just strange for me to come across this and just not have heard about it being promoted anywhere. Yeah, that is the thing. Is like if you hadn't told me, I would not have known about it. This is, I guess, my main gripe is like, yeah, it absolutely should be promoted better. I keep my pretty much my ear to the ground on all of this type of stuff, and I didn't know about it. Like, it was literally just because somebody, and rightfully for them, if you don't know what it is, at least get some clarification of like, yeah. hey, are they really going to send me something for free? But yeah, apparently, they're just sending stuff out. So, good on them. I, You know, again, I don't agree with everything they've done the way they're doing it, but that one's one that I'm just like, yeah, do more of this. That's actually really damn cool. But Let's follow up staying on Magic here and talk about Vegas, because there's a few different things that are worth discussing. In case you didn't know, MagicCon Vegas is coming up on September 22nd to the 24th, I believe. So that three-day weekend, which is not far away from the time you're listening to this, about a week. Um, I may even be recording from Vegas next week. We'll see. But there's some cool stuff going on. One of the first things that's going to be happening this time that people may not know about is there's going to be basically what they're calling a creator passport. And this is a way for wizards to create more awareness about some of their creators. And I believe, I'm not 100% certain, but if not all, most of the creators are part of the ambassador program. But when you sign up, I believe either at registration or when you pick up your goodie bag, there's going to be this like faux leather little uh, passport. And the goal is to go around and get 22 stamps from different creators. And each of the creators has their own custom stamp to stamp your booklet. And this is actually pretty cool for a couple of reasons. I think, first off, it at least gives people a reason to search out some of the creators that they might not have even looked for before. They might not have known who they were. They just weren't on their radar for one reason or another. And with all the creators having designated times throughout the weekend of either being at the arena booth or being in the creator corner or whatever, you're at least now going to be like, oh, hey, I need the stamp from this person. I can come by, check them out, and get my booklet stamped. So now you're going to interact with some creators that you wouldn't necessarily. I also like the idea that there's a lot of people that are kind of introverted and they don't really know how to step into a conversation with somebody that they're a fan of or enjoy watching or whatever. So this gives them like an easy thing of just like, hey, would you mind stamping my booklet or whatever? And you kind of have that first entry point for a conversation. But this got me thinking, Brian, that why don't we have more of this type of stuff at events? Because it doesn't have to be creators. It could be, you know, say at PAX, go to these like 10 small studio booths or something or whatever it is, right? Like there's a bunch of ways this could be implemented. 
Wait, like which? Uh, you said you said studios. Are you talking about like it's like art studios? Yeah, or or creator studios for for video games. Like we could do a bunch of different things with it. Like, oh, okay. You're talking about people beyond magic. I was talking about yeah, yeah, yeah. magic yeah. or stuff like this. Yeah, it seems. Well, I guess first of all, let's see how well this works and get some numbers, and then kind of see where we want to go from there. That's fair. Like that is the thing, right? How many people are now? There's also a prize, and I forgot what it is, but if you get 22 stamps, you get whatever the thing is at the end of the rainbow for putting in the effort. But I'm, I'm kind of into this, though. I like the idea of just like, hey, here's a reason to go do this engagement. It's it's you know, it's a it's a scavenger hunt for creators, effectively, right? And I, somebody smarter than me will have to figure out how they'll track, you know, I guess who, kind of who benefited from this, and if anybody saw any any increase in their in their views or their list downloads or whatever but that's, yeah i'm sure somebody's tracking that somewhere i think for me the measure will just be like because i normally bring tokens or something to give away or you know i have i go through so many pins like signing stuff or whatever so like if those numbers are larger i will know i interacted with more people you know what i mean like that's that's my indicator of just like okay i definitely had more interactions this weekend this was a win right or yeah, but- have any way to know, I guess, up beyond them, I guess, maybe, you know, talking in your comment section to know if any of those people actually came and, and viewed your content? Uh, I think we'll have indicators of, like, do more people follow you on social media, right? Do you see your numbers stick up? Do you see your video views go up? Do you see some people comment on it? How many booklets get turned in, right? How many yeah, people... Obviously, if, you're getting, if, something, if something's being given away, then, yeah, you're going to interact with a whole lot of people. Now the challenge will be... Do any of these people actually interact with my content ever or you actually say, hey, I, I like that guy or girl. Let me go and at least take a look at their channel or their, listen yeah. to their podcast or what have you. And see, and this is where I think while we always ask for companies to do more, I also think some of this is going to be on the creators themselves. Right. We still have to make that last push right They're They're pushing them all the way up. We got to take them the last mile. And in my case, like I said, I've made special tokens to bring that have my information on them or whatever. And like, and it's a useful thing they can put in their game. So I'm like, I'm at least using it as a promotional point. Like, if you're going to bring me the people, I'm going to have something for them to go home with. I'm going to have something for them to reference online, a QR code, whatever. Right. There's going to be things. So I don't know if everybody else is doing that, but you got to have something right. You're still a business like we talked about before as creators. But I like I like the idea. I like the concept. I would love to see more of this at more events, even for me, because, you know, I just recently went to PAX West, but I kind of just did my own thing, sort of roamed around. I didn't have particular things I needed to see. So I was kind of just like checking stuff out kind of willy nilly, as they say. But it would have been cool if I had a little scavenger hunt ish thing to be like, hey, go here and get these different boosts to stamp or check off your book. And then you get a thing. Because I guarantee you, there was stuff I missed that I could have been directed to, you know, Absolutely. but I just but I just wasn't. Especially at something where you're talking like packs, where it's so big, it's in two buildings now. Like it's not even all in the same place anymore. So yeah, just a cool, cool idea. Another thing going on at for Vegas is the Magic World Championships, and we've talked about before. Hey, make sure there's awareness on this thing that we're talking about the people, talking about the event. They're actually doing it this time. So there's been promotions out for a week. They're going to run for the next two weeks. But I've been seeing them on Arena. I've seen some online as pop-ups. I've seen them on on Twitter because I'm still calling it Twitter. Uh, I think almost everybody is. If they say X, it's, you know, snidely, jokingly. Hey, the only thing I use it for is I tell people DMX to hit me up on a DM on X. But that's about it. But there's their URL still says Twitter.com. The cool thing, though, here is they're at least getting the word out way in advance, telling people like, Hey, there's, this is a million dollar tournament. It's going to give a, we're going to crown the world championship. We're going to have a player of the year. They even have a schedule for, I believe when we go live with this podcast, you should be able to see uh, Frank Carson doing a standard breakdown. So you kind of know what to expect with what Eldrain brought to the table. Then on the 21st, which is the day before the tournament starts, He's going to break down kind of the meta game for the event so everybody knows about it. And then on the 22nd, they're going to have all the decks available. 
So, so now I'm wondering, like, what? Because they start out saying, you know, you won't be able to make a living off of this. But like, I guess what's first prize if the whole prize pool is a million? Uh, I saw the breakdown somewhere, but it's it's a it's a pretty big chunk of it. It's like 200k or something. Like it's a, I was it's gonna a, say, yeah, it's that a big would chunk. be yeah, that would be full time salary if you if you get 200k. Yeah, I th- I think the thing is more when people say that I think they're talking about more about consistency more than anything of just like you know because let's say you don't win and you finish. I don't know, 16th or so. And you probably get, I'm assuming that's probably still around 20 K ish maybe. Yeah. So like that's a good chunk. And maybe you made some money earlier in the year, but at the end of the year, maybe you only made $30,000, right? That's not necessarily going to be good enough for a lot of people to live on, depending on what country you're from. Yeah, absolutely. Depending on where you live at. Yeah. Cause if you live somewhere in the U S for example, that that, that's not going to be a whole. Yeah. But if you live out in the middle of Iowa, maybe. Yeah. Or if you live in some country where the U.S. dollar is worth a lot more, right? Like $30,000 could be worth a ton over there. So there's a little of that that you kind of have to figure out. But there is still opportunity and still money because you still have the arena championships that happen in between. You've still got all the regional qualifiers and those happen in between. So like there's still opportunity to make money, but it's not just the steady guaranteed money. Because, I mean, you know as well as I do, if you're competing in these things, it's not a guarantee you're even going to make money the next year, right? You might just run hot as the sun for a year, and then you just run into some bad luck the next year. And that's tough, but, I mean, it's not anybody's fault or anything. It's just kind of the way it is. But, yeah, it's, it's cool that they're actually getting the word out. The schedules are up online. They're already highlighting cards and people. So, yeah, this is kind of what we want them to do leading up to the event. And I'm still a big fan of the World Championships being part of these Magic Cons. Because they at least become a little bit more of a spectacle that way. Because I I still remember the early couple of Pro Tours I got to go to. It was just other pro players for the most part. Or people in their orbit. You know, whether that's friends, family, local folks or whatever. But it wasn't just like general Magic fans that showed up to be part of this thing. Right. I, I don't except for the every once in a while, I didn't feel like you needed significant amounts of seating for the most part, which this sort of changes that a little bit. I think that's pretty cool. So, yeah, I've I've enjoyed having even if it's just like, all right, hey, I'm between events. Let me go check in and see what's going on in the pro tour today or whatever. And you can go watch some pro tour coverage or see some cool listen to the commentary or whatever it is. So it definitely adds to the event quite a bit. And. I hope this continues. It sounds like it's going to. But yeah, this is one of the things we talked about as far as are they going to promote this well enough? And they seem like they're at least trying to. So, so far, so good, I guess. And again, I guess this will be a thing where we'll, after this, we'll have some numbers and say, okay, how many people that were there actually interacted with the world championship, knew it was there. Carrot, it was there, or would they rather rather not have had to deal with it? So we'll, we'll find out. Yeah, that's kind of all we can say at this point, right? It's just, we'll see what happens. Because this is always one of the things, too. It's tough for people to accept, but, like, there still needs to be a return on investment. You know, there still needs to be some amount of, like, who did this benefit, who did not. Like, And they have a lot of ways to measure that. So, I mean, if, if it's worth it, they'll keep doing it. But it seems like right now, this is going to be the plan going forward. Also, uh, for those interested, I did look up some information. It says first prize is 100000 and the minimum every competitor will get will get is $4,000 for the world championships. So, that ain't bad. <laughs> like, at least you have a floor of like, you know, you go 0-8 or whatever. You're still getting 4K you cover your weekend and pocket another couple thousand. So that ain't bad, you know, but another thing, if you can't make it to magic con Vegas, they're doing the festival in a box thing again, which has become like the norm for them to do for these events. It's $250. You'll get a box of mystery booster convention edition. You'll get the secret layer drop for Dan Frazier's what they're calling mox box which has a Mox Opal, Mox Tantalite, and a Soul Ring with exclusive art and throwback frames, which I'm sure the Soul Ring alone would probably be worth real money out of there. 
You'll also get a Relentless Rats secret layer promo, which will probably be worth stuff because regular secret or Relentless Rats are worth money. And then you'll get 24 different boosters to do a Chaos Draft if you would like to. And those cover all types of sets from the last, it looks like, two to three years. And uh, Dominator Remastered is tossed in there as well. So for $250, not a bad deal. I think if you bought all these separate plus the extra value you'll probably get out of that relentless rats and the and the soul ring you're probably saving anywhere between 20 and 50 bucks so it's not like it's a bad deal it's not a great deal it's just it's all right you know you're getting a bunch of extra stuff to effectively get your hand on some exclusive items and the rest of the money it's almost like you bought some product so it's cool it's cool but i think it's neat they're at least offering something you get something unique it's a way for them to pump up sales a little bit related to the event uh, I will say, though, by the time you're listening to this podcast, you're probably only going to have about two hours or so to go over and down or to, to buy it because it does end shortly. So there's that. But just thought it was pretty interesting. But let's talk about a group that's out there that people sometimes forget about. Now, I don't I think we've mentioned them a couple of times on the show, but there's a group out there called Black Girl Gamers. And the name is pretty self-explanatory, right? It's a group of black women that play games of different varieties. Well, they had a social post on Twitter uh, just a couple days ago that showed they had over 9,000 members now. That's damn impressive. Right? Yeah, 9,000 is not a small number. And I believe they've been doing it for eight years if i'm not mistaken so that's a thousand averaging over a thousand additional members a year that's pretty damn good no doubt and these aren't like you know youtube subs that somebody just clicks a button and comes along these are people that they're accepting into their group that actively play games promote games design games make content like that's cool man when you talk about representation, not just of black gamers, but particularly black female gamers, they're holding it down. I mean, like, let's just be honest. You know, they're doing the job. And I think it even goes a step further in the idea of showing that them being active has done what it's supposed to do. Because I'm sure you see it all the time. Like, they're always posting something on social media. Absolutely. Yeah, they always have something going on. It's like, hey, this person's competing in this tournament. This person's on this stream. There's a news coverage of this person. Hey, here's an anniversary thing for somebody. Like, they are crushing it. So I don't know who's in charge of their social media stuff, but they are getting it done. Good looking out. They, like you said, they are they are doing it. That's that's what we want to see in this space. Yeah, I'm I'm into it, man. And and this also comes back to. You know, the people I've talked to before and they say, well, maybe you don't see that many black people in the industry because there's just not as many of them that are interested. That's totally just not true. Right. And you have efforts like this that show that they're like they're finding these black women that are just on the business end of stuff effectively. You know, willing to promote and put stuff out there and be part of these organizations or whatever. This isn't obviously all of the other ones that are just happen to be fans playing Smash Brothers or whatever, you know? I am just always amazed to see just to see how many how many women there are in the space. It's like every day I see somebody, you know, click on a thing like, oh, wait, who is this person I've never seen before that's really awesome at, at Overwatch or Call of Duty or what have you? So, yeah, we are the, the space is changing and I'm so happy. Yeah, and I I think you bring up a good point, too, is just getting that exposure out there is going to come across somebody else's screen, and they're going to go, oh, wait, I didn't know there was this many other people like me that played. Oh, sweet, right? Let me me send them an email. Let me follow them on Twitter or whatever it is. You know, we've talked about it before on the show. Like, I've had people reach out to me and just go, oh, man, it's sweet seeing just another black person plays Magic. And at first, it was kind of like, okay, I get it. But then when you look around, the only ones that I think are actively doing stuff all the time are pretty much me, Joe Johnson, and Cedric, I think. 
I mean, there's some others, but I don't know on a, on the higher end scale that have the reach or involved in a lot of stuff publicly. So there's limited exposure. So it's pretty cool when somebody can find somebody that's like them, right? And I've talked about it before, and we've done even coverage for stuff like the arena championships. Having a an Asian woman like Hayu doing coverage with us matters, right? There's somebody's going to look at that and be like, oh, hey, sweet. You know, like, like somebody like me. All right, cool. It doesn't seem like a big deal to a lot of people, but like that little bit. Exactly. Like that. people that have, you know, may not have ever seen somebody else of their, uh, of their skin color or, or, or their gender play in this game. It means so much because just think about, I mean, th- think about anything that you go into. Imagine just getting on the bus and you're, you know, the only black person there. Or you're walking to a room and you're the only black person, Asian person, the only woman. Think about how, especially until you go around and, and start talking to people, think about how uncomfortable that is at the beginning. Yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, we've all been there, being, being the token person in the room. Yeah. You know, I'll even say this. when you when If you're on the outside looking in and you're ever wondering, like, why do so many efforts need to be made? Think about the idea that you don't know when that person will see that effort, right? I've, I've done literally like 2,000 videos, but some people still did not discover me and get excited until they saw that one particular video. So if I do only 1,000 videos, do they ever see one? You know what I mean? Like, we don't know when that's going to be. If... You put Hayu on one coverage team with us. Does somebody who needs that inspiration see her? Maybe. But if we put her on for a year's worth of events, then now we increase the odds of that happening. Right? And and I get it. If you're on the outside looking in, it could feel like you're probably being beat down and bludgeoned down with like, why do we got to do this again? Why do we got to talk about it again? It's like, because you have to have a mass effort a lot of times. And it's cool when we look at something like what the black girl gamers are doing and see that they've got 9,000 members in eight years. That means they are getting work done. And I'm sure it's as they get more and more people, you start to snowball a bit because now you're showing up on more social feeds and more people are talking about you. And it becomes kind of its own promotion after a point. But good on them, man. I I got nothing negative to say about them. The few people I've interacted with from their group over the years have all been pleasant. They've all been professional. Like, just round of applause all the way around. Like, they are killing it. I I hope we can inspire even half that many people, honestly. For real. Because 9,000, like, that's, let me digress a little bit here because we get kind of caught up in the world of social media, of, seeing big numbers, right? And, and and I get it. We all see Mr. Beast doing 50 million, 100 million views or whatever per video. So when you get like a thousand, it doesn't feel like anything, right? But when you change the perspective of, let's say with what the BGG is doing, right? They got 9,000 members. There are several towns in the US that don't have 9,000 members. For reals. Like, I mean, like, legit. I, You know as well as I do. They're, in Texas, I would say the majority of the cities don't have 9,000 people. Right? There's so many small places that have a couple hundred that I don't even know why they get to have a town name, to be honest. But 9,000 is still a big deal. You know, if you get 20,000 views on a video, that's the size of an actual city at that point. You know, when you get to 100,000... That's more than most stadiums hold. Right? To even put that in perspective, just like you had 100,000 people watch what you did. Like for your 5-minute, 10-minute, 15-minute video, whatever it is. Like there are people that get excited to perform in front of 1,000 people. And that's there are actors that have had to perform shows in front of eight people. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like people forget that we, we're not putting stuff in proper perspective anymore. Like, I could look at my YouTube and be like, man, I just crossed 25,000 subscribers. Like, I feel like I should have more. But 25,000 is a real number. 
You know what I, I have mean? performed at many open mic nights where the comedians outnumbered the audience. That's rough, but I've I've been witness to one of those. So like, yeah, so <laughs> so so to have a thousand people or more listen to this on a weekly basis is still kind of mind blowing for me. It's crazy, man. It is crazy. So when you hear a number, like I said, like nine thousand people, might go, "Yeah, it's only nine thousand people," but. It's and this is an even better number because not only is it nine thousand, it's nine thousand of a particular gender, of a particular race, and mostly on the business or presentation side of the thing they're promoting. So it's a niche within a niche within a niche, and they still got nine thousand people. And, and I feel compelled to. It's over nine thousand. I had to. That's all right. Exactly. Okay. exactly. <laughs> so yeah. So credit to them. I mean, nothing. Just big ups all the way around. But uh, let's wrap up the show here with an interesting conversation for the dinner table. And this kind of comes up because there's PR or VR everything, it seems like, these days. And a lot of it's failed. A lot of it's been poorly implemented. You know, Different companies are trying different versions of it. But do we think there will ever be a Magic the Gathering virtual reality variant? And I don't know where your headspace is on this, but I'm kind of, I I don't want to be like a fence sitter here, but in the grand scheme of things, I kind of want to say no, because we don't gain anything by playing magic in a virtual realm. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think anything we would do there, we can't find a way to just do on a, a desktop screen that would be significantly better. I think that's the thing that, that has hurt VR is there has just been so few games that have that have done something that, okay, you couldn't do this or, or it can't be done better outside of VR. For example, the reason the, the Nintendo Wii and then, you know, the Nintendo Switch succeeded is because they figured out how to do things with, with uh, motion control that pretty much nobody else was doing. And they're just... VR really feels like it lacks a killer app right now, just ac- across the board in gaming. There's just, especially when you talk about paying upwards of a thousand dollars for what you want me to drop a thousand, two thousand dollars on a on some kind of headset. I gotta have some games that are like, okay, I can't play this on anything else, or if I play it on something else, it won't be as fun. And so far, there just haven't been very many. Yeah, because I feel like even when you think back to mobile phone games. It took us getting stuff like Fruit Ninja, Angry Birds, whatever, for people to start going, hey, these apps can be like a thing. Candy Crush, right? That was a big one. Yep. And I think the only thing I feel like that's existed in VR is what, Beat Saber maybe? That's like the only one I see where everybody kind of goes, oh, that looks like fun. I get it, right? Yeah. But most of the others are like, eh, maybe. Oh, that's kind of cool, whatever. And it just doesn't, they just don't have staying power. Now, on the opposite side, though, I will say, for to tell you, I'm a grognard from back in the day, like old school <laughs> magic. You know, I was around when the rocks were soft. But when they first made Magic Online, and those of you that played the early version remember, the way you paired up with people is you would sit at a table, your avatar, and then somebody else's avatar would select their opponent and sit at the table, and then you jump into the game you're playing. Now, I'm not saying we need something like that to make it work, but you would have to do something extra other than just like, I'm just playing a game of Magic, because why else be in this virtual headset? But if we made a different variant, right, where we weren't necessarily just playing Magic, but maybe it was some Magic RPG-style thing, and we're adventuring in the world of Dominaria or Ikoria or whatever, like maybe and i said that with a big question mark but like could it exist yeah do i think it'd be good enough to make enough money for that it should exist eh uh like i don't know how bad i'd want that as a magic fan yeah i just uh, again unless somebody shows me something that just totally blows me away i this isn't something i have any interest in yeah, like, I mean, I guess maybe if we pull off 
eventually whenever it happens the animated series or an anime thing yeah. or whatever and we want to use that as the impetus for pushing a vr thing then like maybe because then you're just riding the wave of the popularity you created but outside of that i just don't see a need for us to have it yeah yeah definitely if you have something that's more immersive but you know just i i'm not it'd be hard to convince me to drop a large amount of money on some kind of VR headset and a card game is the best app you can show me on it. That just would be weird. Yeah. And I, I think the other concern I have too, is we might just be in a situation where a lot of people will just never own VR headsets until they're just right at the price that consoles are now. Right. Until we cross that bridge, they may not, it's the same way, even for, High-end cell phones. For a long time, people didn't own the super phones because they were like $1,500, $2,000. Now that you can get an upper-end phone for like $500, well, now more people can finance them and go get them. And the thing is, you know, the, you, the the developers, the people that create great games don't jump on really until they've seen some proof you can move these devices and... VR just kind of really isn't there yet. And somebody, I, I remember this, I, I remember going to previous consumer electronics shows and having everybody convince me, hey, you need to try this VR thing. Or even before that, you know, with, with remember one year, everything was 3D. 3D, look look how great it is. And this, this is going to change the world. And then next year, okay, what happened to all this 3D stuff? We're still working on it. <laughs> you know? the, the only two pieces of technology I remember seeing in my lifetime at a show that I really thought, like, man, these are going to change things was when I was in, it was years ago, I was in high school and we went to Disneyland, Disney World. We were at the Epcot Center and they had, like, the, the World of Tomorrow stuff or whatever. And they had the first video phones. So, like, yeah. you could video, con- and they just had you, like, on the other side of a couple of walls or whatever. Yep. But the fact that, like, you could talk, like, live to somebody else, I was like, man, if they can make these, this is going to be huge. And sure enough, now we have it in our pocket. We use it for conferencing, you know, whatever. The other was I was at the Texas State Fair, and they were showing off stuff. And they had, they were showing HD television effectively. I don't think it was called that at the time. But basically, like, a picture of a rotating, like, next to you, you could see, like, a rotating vase or whatever. And then they had it on screen and it looked like the vase was just in the box or whatever, effectively. Right. And I was like, that's cool. But that's probably way too expensive for anybody to ever buy. Right. But now we have HD everything. And like when you go back and look at footage, even from like 10 years ago or something, you're like, ah, that's footage is awful. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So but that's it. Like, I don't remember other things I've seen where I just went like, oh, this is it. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. VR, I've tried it. I, I think there's some games that have done good implementations of it. Where there's some where I think one of them I was trying out, you had to walk out on this plank to grab a thing because it was like part of it. Like you had to collect all these pieces and go open these doors or like an escape room sort of thing. But like the fear and vertigo it gave you walking over this plank to go grab <laughs> this thing was like legit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm like, okay, this is cool. This is neat. And play. But it's like, even that was almost like a one and done type experience. It wasn't like, eh, this was cool, but I'm not going to buy this to just do the same thing again at home. Right. I walk over the plank like three or four times and the newness is kind of gone at that point. So I don't know what it will take, but I, I just don't know. I mean, will there be one possibly for magic, but like, do we need it? Do I think it'll be super popular? I can't right now envision what that would be, sadly. I, and honestly, maybe part of it is I'm just not even that interested in one existing. You know, it just like VR hadn't hit for me in general. And it may just be a case, like I said, I need I need to see some more Beat Sabers or something come along <laughs> to, to get me into it. Because, yeah. I mean, I'm not buying a headset just to play Beat Saber for an hour every day. Oh, like, that ain't worth my $1,000. And I think most people are in that same uh, <laughs> kind of in that same bracket. Well, with all that being said, Brian, once you're they can find you on the social media machines. I am Brian Sonic on uh, Twitter <laughs> and YouTube. And you can find me just about everywhere at Power Dragon, P-O-W-R-D-R-A-G-N. And let me say thank you. I've seen a couple of the uh, comments come through that y'all have left on some things. So please keep doing that if you're listening. Still 
leave a comment, leave a review, let everybody know you like the show because it does help out. But as always, wherever you're listening, whenever you're listening, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Please remember to take care of yourselves and your family. Remember to be awesome. And most importantly, remember to be awesome to each other. If you'd like to further support Color of Magic, you can find us on our website at colorofmtg.com. We also have a Patreon if you'd like to donate under patreon.com slash colorofmagic. You can also find us on Facebook under Color of Magic. And if you want to follow us along at Twitter, you can find us there at Color of MTG. And as always, please share the podcast around to your friends, your network, people you think might enjoy it, because every little bit helps as we're trying to increase our user base. <laughs>